0: your host. Just wanted to say a quick word to the In My Shoes family before we begin today. Um, As you all know, we're in this life of quarantine. Mom's having to do it all with the kids at home, getting their work done. And so my guest today is a brave mom of four, also a mompreneur. I think she's got them in all grade levels, elementary through high school, including two kids with special gifts as she likes to say. It's a brave interview, but of course, in this life of quarantine, you'll have kids in the background. They may ask mommy a question, maybe playing video games have no care in the world that she's on a call. So just wanted to make you aware of that. Again, it's a great episode and one that I think you're going to enjoy. So sit back and let's get started. Hello, hello, fam, and welcome to In My Shoes. It's a podcast for women of color about the issues that we're going through each and every day. I am your host, Karen Davis Thompson. So excited to have a good friend with me today who has agreed to be my guest. We're going to be talking a little bit about motherhood and dealing uh, with children with special needs, especially with us all being quarantined at home right now. And so I just want to introduce you all to Andresia Jackson. Andresia, say hello and tell everybody a little bit about yourself.
1: Hey, hey, hey. So I'm Andresia. I'm a mom, a single mom um, of four little people. I don't call them kids because I want them to grow up and be people and adults and get out my house. Um, So they are my little people, ranging from 15, 14. mm, See, I don't even know how the other ones are. Um, 10 and 12. Um, Two of my children do have special gifts. I don't call them disabilities. I call them um, special gifts. One is on the spectrum. The other one has defiant disorder. Um, I've been a single mom since starting, um, so I've always had to be able to try to find balance, um, and when it comes down to the children, whether it was school, working, I was in school raising them, having to deal with doctors' appointments, having to deal with taking them places, therapies, all kind of things, plus trying to keep them active in sports and. I was a PTA mom, I was overly tired. I tried my very best to make sure I gave them the best life possible and still am. Um, it's not always been easy, but during this time, I made a decision that I needed to be more than just their mom. So throughout that, I ended up launching a business um, to give other moms the opportunity that I was looking for as well. It was more or less just something that I did to kind of find me some time that I just would get away, you know, have that one little bit of time away from the kids once a month. So that's a little bit about me. I'm I'm just a regular old mom. That's it.
0: (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about the more than a mom concept, if you don't mind how that works um, and what that kind of brought to your life. And then we'll get into the kids
1: a little more. All right. Awesome. So more than a mom is where I started it about three years ago. I've always said I was more than a mom because like I said, I was doing so much for just my kids. And I was a rebel growing up. I never liked to follow the rules. And so I saw my mom always making us the center of her life. And as I grew up, I knew I didn't want to do that. My mother, when I was born, she was active. Um, She was an active Delta. And then my sister came and then she slowed down. Then my brother came and it was a done deal. We were everything. We were her whole life. And I just knew that having kids had to be more than just that. Like I didn't want to just stay Always with the kids because I had dreams, I had goals, I had things I wanted to do still, even though I had four children. So I got to talking to some of my girlfriends. I'm like, there has to be more to this. Even though we're moms, there has to be something outside of that. Because what's going to happen when the kids go away? Um, What's going to happen when they grow up? What happens like now? They're teenagers. Sometimes they don't want to be bothered with me, so they shut their door. So does my life end at that point? Then I was like, I don't want to just raise the kids. And then now I'm in my 40s, my 50s. And I'm like, okay, now I want to do all these different things. So I made a community of women like-minded that decided that they thought outside of the box. And I always talk about this mommy box. The mommy box is where you're looking at fear, opinions, and you're looking at doubt, and you're just looking at that time. And so we crush that mommy box every day by just having those conversations away from motherhood. Like, how are you doing? Especially with everything that's going on right now with this pandemic, what are you doing for you? Whether it was self-care, whether it's what I call our momcations. And that is something that I am huge on with More Than A Mom, is giving my moms once a year a momcation where I celebrate them. I literally, me and my team get together and we give them a weekend away from their kids where we're just talking about things outside of just being mothers, the things that we're having to go through. And right now, this year, we're celebrating the what next, because a lot of our moms are at that point where the kids are graduated. So what's next? Like, what else do you have to do with your life? Because the kids are gone. Did you stop your life? So a lot of things happen and I based more than a mom off of my mom. She was my, I don't wanna say like my test subject, but she was. Um, I learned a lot from her, which is what grew the business because I saw her. And last year we had this um, event where we did, mama did you know? Like mom, did you know it was possible to be more than a mom? Because she grew up in an age where everything was about her children. Did you know it was possible to continue being active in your sorority? Did you know it was possible to go out there and travel. One thing people laugh at me about and kind of taught me about, Mother's Day is the one day that I do not have my children. And a lot of people think that that is crazy. They don't understand it. That's supposed to be the day that you spend with the kids. No, I'm with my kids 364 days. I'm a full-time mom. So on Mother's Day, I travel. I make that conscious effort to put me first. Like If you think about it this way, they, whenever you get on the plane, they always tell you, put your mask on first if I'm always taking care of my kids and taking care of everybody else, how do I have time to put my mask on? So I have to reverse it. I have to put my mask on first. So that's what I do for Mother's Day. I'm out of the country. I'm doing something exotic with friends. I'm I'm not in town. I just refuse, even, even in this pandemic, my kids are still going away. I'm still going away. I'm not gonna be home. I won't be on somebody's island, but I won't be home either. So that's some of the things with more than a mom. And we do quarterly meetups where they just get an hour to two where they're away from their children, away from their husbands, and they're able to just enjoy being women first.
0: Gotcha. That sounds amazing. So about how many women do you have that participate in more than a mom, would you say?
1: Um, what well we have at the events, they range about between 30 to 50 women that come out to our live events. In our group online, we have right now roughly about 400 moms all over. Um, and we just kind of talk online, do different experiences, talk about what we're going through. That's the online community. But physically at the events, usually between 30 to 50 different women depends on the time of the event. Because again, we're moms. And the one thing that I'm very big on is the date. And a lot of people don't understand. I have them on Sundays. And usually they're like a brunch event. And people would always ask, well, why do Sunday? Because you're still a mom and I have to respect that. So because you're a mom, you're not going to be able to do something on a Saturday because you may have football, soccer, cheerleading. So what's the one day that you're able to kind of relax and have that is a Sunday. And I try my very best to respect people who have to go to church, or who have things that have to be done on Sunday. So I only have those events on the fifth Sunday of every the fifth Sunday, basically. So it allows the, everyone to do their own normal thing on their Sundays respectfully. But then on the fifth Sunday, they know we're doing something. We're going to celebrate them. So I try to be consistent with that. because so that's only four times a year that they have to be away from their family. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about the kids. I think I hear
0: somebody playing a video game or something in the background. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like you said, mom, 24-7, girl. It's kids everywhere. I have seen them. I've been watching. Um, You can just see the absolute horror on the faces of our reporters, when the kids come running into the room, girls. So we just do what we do with the kids here. Mine are older, so I don't have that problem. Thank God. But <laughs> I do remember the days, girls. So let's talk a little bit about the kids. So you have four. You said two that you have that have special gifts. And so let's talk about when you found out about their diagnoses and how did it make you feel? What emotions did you go through as you started to learn more about the journey that you were about to take? Wow. So,
1: um, With my oldest, my mother and his grandmother knew before I did. I was in denial. Um, After having him, I went into really bad postpartum. So I was everything was, you're trying to take my baby. You're trying to take my child. I don't want to hear all this. So they knew because he wasn't making the eye contact. He had a a speech delay, so he wasn't talking. Um, And like I said, they were very close in age. Him and his brother are 18 months apart. So by the time Donovan came, my second son came, um, we knew something was off with Donovan. Never could figure out what it was initially. Um, Donovan was my um, the baby that really put it on me. Donovan would hit himself in the head, give himself black eyes. Um, he would um, throw himself into his crib. We went through a phase where he would take his feces out of his pamper, smear them on the wall, smear him everywhere. Um, went through an episode where they almost took him because he had hit himself so hard. He had a black eye. And I knew what was going on, but you take him to a sitter, they don't. So uh, roughly around Demetrius was probably four. Donnie was getting ready to turn three. And we knew because my second son didn't have any language, none. He only made sounds. So he also had a speech delay. So that's when we kind of knew something was going on. Um, So then they started with the program, the ELP program. And at that point, that's when they were evaluated by the psychologist. They got all their testing done, moved into different, the IEPs. Um, But I wasn't really the one that wanted to do a diagnosis. I was afraid because I didn't want to be labeled as them having something wrong. Um, and at that point I went through the whole, what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong as a mother? Did I not take something? Did I, what did I do? Cause I knew they were back to back to back. So I went through a terrible bout of depression again, um, with them. But in the midst of all of them, that going on, we, I was actually pregnant again. So it was extremely hard and remind you still single mom, so my oldest was the first one to get diagnosed with having at that time they said it was Asperger's, um, but they didn't want to give him a formal diagnosis, but they classified it as Asperger's, and I didn't know what that meant. You know, it was either you're autistic or something else was wrong. So I really wasn't clear on it. Um, Donovan, my second, was our he was diagnosed early on as having the defiant disorder. Um, But they always thought it was something else, but never would classify it. So even to this day, he's 15 and 14. And the classification as to what he has, I want to say, is not stamped in the books. Um, So they've classified him. He has IEP. He has everything that you would say. But as far as his doctors signing off on this is what he has... I still fight with that at this moment because I feel like he has still more um, help he could be getting if you put the official stamp on it that he's autistic or he's on the spectrum. For Donovan, Donovan has done so much therapy that because of his therapies that he's gone through and everything, now they've moved his diagnosis to just having still defiant disorder, but that's it. Um, but I know that there are some more things going on with him. Even at him, his age of fourteen, there are some things that I'm starting to see that I'm I'm concerned about, um, and so we're going to have to go back to get some more testing done. I hope that answered the question.
0: It did, you know, and it led me to another question. You're not the first mom I've spoken to. You know, I've been uh, passionate about this work for quite some time because. Um, you know, I've been going through it for 16 years now with my daughter and um, I've been speaking to a few moms, you know, we started a a support group. You've been um, a part of that as well. And I've heard that before. It's like, they'll tell you, this is what the child has. Oh, but we don't want to classify it as that. And did you ever get a sense of why that is? I, I mean, I have my opinion, which I'll share in a moment, but did you ever get a sense for what was the hesitation? I know in the beginning. You're not the first mom that I've heard say, you know, I just didn't want them to be labeled. But as they get older and things start to progress, most parents come to the realization that they need that diagnosis to be able to open the door for some uh, services. Mm-hmm. So have you ever been given a reason as to, you know, here we are, we're still dealing with this. You know, I have my own issues, even with the whole defiance thing When you're talking about a black male and we're just going to leave it at that. But were you ever given a, a reason as to what's the concern about going ahead and just calling it he's on the spectrum you know he has this
1: my doctor is very um she's against them being titled or labeled is how she would tell me and there are other her her feeling was there are other ways to get him the help that he needs um I've done a lot of alternative medicines with the boys um different therapies different things that we would suggest and I'll be honest with you, I didn't push it as hard as I should have, but now I'm pushing harder for him because classifying him meant that, and it's hard to even say it for me, that there was something else that was wrong. Um, And so we would battle with the doctor who one day she would be like, okay, yeah, let's classify it. Next day, like, no, let's not. So we would go back and forth, but no formal reason as to why she didn't or why I didn't push it. Um, a lot of it was, I would say, a stigmatism. Like I didn't want it to come off as their being. That's why I call them special gifts. I just didn't want it to be him feeling like Something is wrong. And that's one of the biggest things that I personally have made sure that I've stamped in both of their heads. There's nothing wrong. We just got some extra gifts that God just gave us to work with. And if that means that in time, we may have to take a medicine, like he'll take his medicine to function through the day. And I'm like, we got it. We good. And he will be like, yeah, mom, good. I'm okay. Like He understands that there's something extra about him, but we don't talk about it to the extent that he's like, oh, I'm autistic. Yeah, that's what's going on. I always try to give them the best normalcy with it. And I don't know that that was the best route. Um, That's my concern now looking back. If I had gotten it diagnosed early on, what more help could I have gotten? Where more things could I have made sure he had? What other therapies could we have gone through? So it plays a lot on me and the doctor, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And I think as a parent, you know, what you experienced or what you felt was normal. Nobody wants those labels because we fear how the child is going to feel. I do think that it is incumbent upon the uh, professionals to really make that push. I mean, there are things that it's hard to access if you don't have the label, if you don't have the diagnosis. And as he gets older, there are things that he it's easier for him to qualify for if he has that diagnosis. So if I could encourage you on, on anything today. Um, and then I'll get up my soapboxes box, soap <laughs> to really press that because it it could be an issue for him going forward. Um, you know, it doesn't matter that they're saying this is what they see. The What matters is what is the, the bottom line diagnosis. And so um, I would encourage you to definitely press for that. It's not too late to do that and to just let her know uh, we're ready to go ahead and put a label on this thing so my baby can get what he needs to get. Absolutely. Um, so that's my PSA for today. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit now about, um, I, I, is there, is their dad active in their lives? Sometimes I, I'm curious to always know if the, if the, if the dads, um, uh, sometimes have trouble, um, accepting a diagnosis and you can talk about it as that as much as you're comfortable with, but I know for me, um, I think my husband and my, and my father, both had a little bit of trouble accepting what we were really working with um, and calling it what it was so that we were all on the same page. Um, I think they really struggled with that more than the women in my family did. And I'm just curious to know if you saw anything similar.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) That's such a touchy, touchy subject. And it's only touchy because I try my very best um, not to go that route. Their dad is still in denial to this day. Um, That is still a very sensitive subject for me and him because as soon as i bring it up that's an argument um from day one like i said my mom who's in education their grandmother who is in education also they knew but they were like you're overly sensitive so we're not saying anything to you and then when they did i went off on a tangent he's never accepted it even to this day he doesn't even understand why they have an iep because there's nothing wrong with them they're just boys he just needs to be a little bit more tougher on them. No, that's not that's not quite right. Oh, well, he's acting immature because you always have him around you and the kids. No, that's not true either. He has no social skills. And um, if you are around him and you pay attention to him, he's highly intelligent, which there's nothing saying that him being on the spectrum, he's not intelligent, but there are some things that he has going on that we need to deal with. So no the support from their father has not been there when it comes down to their diagnosis at all because he knows more than the doctors know and he's just a boy. Um, My my father, who is a whole different generation, he's come around to it. Um, He identifies that there's, you know, that he has some things that are different about my son. Um, And I'll tell you this experience, that really made it go home. My son was at school um, and that's them in the background. (laughs) He was at school. And that's when I think it clicked for my father. This isn't normal. Like when you're saying these are your friends, but they're not really your friends. When you're saying, oh, it's nothing. They're not bothering me. It's just normal. He doesn't get that. It's not just normal. He's had it rough since middle school because He just doesn't have the social interaction skills. Everybody's my friend. No, they're not your friend. Oh, he didn't mean to hit me, mom. It was just my friend. No, the hell it's not. He's not your friend. And so my dad just recently, it clicked. And he's like, okay, so how do we, and I hate the word, how do we fix it? Because he didn't say fix it, but he said fix it. He's like, what else can we do? So grandpa gets it. Both his grandfathers get it. His other grandfather, his he said he's always known. Um, but dad, dad, no ma'am. Dad is like, nope. He's just a boy. Um, he just needs to be more disciplined. No, that doesn't work either. So he doesn't get it. Like it's it, it don't happen. It just doesn't.
0: And I think that's um. It's interesting. I, I may do a just an episode on that one day, girl. But I I found that yeah. a lot. That, that <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have found that a lot. It's very difficult. My dad struggled with that thing for a really long time. I think it's only in the last six months to a year uh-huh. <laughs> that it has really resonated with him. That this girl, it, you, you sir, sir, <laughs> you know. So it was it was very hard. I think it's just not wanting them, you know, for me, you you worry about how they're going to be seen in life, how they're going to be treated. And so it's just scary. And I think for them, it's just easier to live in that state of denial. And for moms, because we typically take the lead role in those areas, we can't afford to pretend like it's not happening. Mm -hmm. Um, because if we do that, then ba- the baby just don't get what they need. So mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting. I've heard it a lot from women. So thank you for that. I know that may have been a little touchy to bring up, but I appreciate you for <laughs> just kind of mm-hmm. talking about
1: it a bit. It is what it is. You know, I can't, yeah. I can't sugarcoat it because that's how I've gotten to the point that I'm at now is trying to sugarcoat for everybody else. And that's where I start having problems. So I can only speak our truth of what we experience. And then he can speak his at one point if he ever has to. Right, that's true.
0: So let's talk a little bit about how uh, dealing with the um, diagnosis that your babies have, how it impacts the household as a, as a whole, how does it impact the way they um, interact with their siblings? Um, I know for me, I'll give you an example. So, um, you know, my children are not as close as I would like for them to be. They're very close in age. Yeah. Um, one's a boy, one's a girl. So you always have those differences. But there was always, you know, because mine was, you know, she'd steal your stuff. She was, you know, lying all the time. So it it, it made it difficult, I think, for my, son a child to really be able to wrap their brain around okay she can't help some of what she's doing Mm -hmm. so they aren't as close you know now that they're 18 oh no he's 20 now 20 and 18 as I would like for them to be so what is the dynamic like at home with um your children when you factor in the diagnosis that they're uh, suffering with or dealing with
1: it's tough um and tough is a is a is a a nice word that's not the word I want to use but I'm trying to be good today um It's like, it's him against them. And because I told you my second oldest is, his is just defiant disorder. So he's more just zero to a hundred. And I take it how you want to take it. And we have to watch it because they keep throwing out that it could be something else underlying, but it's three against one. Um, My son was similar to your daughter, klepto, pick it up. He sees it. He wants it. He's going to take it. Um, See something on the counter. It's not his, but he wanted to drink it. He's going to drink it. Um, hoarding food. So whereas he needs a lot of organization and they don't know how to help him. So then they taunt him and they tease him and they make him feel, as I see it, like he's less than, but he's the oldest child. So I'm consistently on their asses because I'm like, listen, that is still your older brother. You still got to respect him. You're not going to keep talking to him any kind of way because they would, and I and I have to bring it back to him. It's like you guys are bullying him and I hate that word, but that's how it feels when I'm sitting there as a mom looking at what they're doing and they'll taunt him in there. You know, you don't, that don't even make sense. Why would you do that? And then they'll say little things in their breath. You just stupid. No, hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> You don't get it. And then it's an issue between mom. And as I kind of touched on a little bit, because we I am single mom. And so when they go over to dads, they get away with some things that they may not get away with over here because I'm, I'm big on we're still a family. So there has been times that I've had to pull them to the side and be like, listen, slow this down because he's your brother. And we know there's some things that he just doesn't get. But they love to taunt him, and when that happens, now I have to intervene because then he's because he is starting to get older now. He's a lot stronger, so he'll grab somebody and sling him. And I'm like, you can't do that either. It's kind of remember the movie where um what was that movie? Uh, oh, it was this big guy. And this little girl, I want to think, I can't even remember, it was was a movie that was out there, and this big guy, he couldn't know how powerful he was. And that's where my oldest is. He doesn't realize just how powerful he is, so he'll hit. I'm like, did you realize you just knocked her into the wall? Like, did you realize how hard you hit her? But in his mind, I was just trying to protect me. So it becomes very, very touchy at times in my household, because I don't want them to think that I'm singling him out and making him my favorite but then I can't also have you sitting there taunting him and badgering him and making him feel less than so slow it down so it, it it's hard it's so hard like there are so many days that I cry because he can't he doesn't get it and he loves his siblings to death and I think that's the hardest part is he loves them so much and no matter how mean they can be to him he still loves them through it. Like me, I'd have been like, okay, we we ain't even gonna talk no more. You my brother, but I ain't gotta talk to you. But he'll still give the shirt off of his back to them, even though they put him through the mud.
0: They really do. Yeah. I can relate to that. My my daughter feels that way about her brother, even though there are times when I'm like, You don't have to be so mean to her. And I, you know, I try to be understanding of both sides. Mm-hmm. It can't be easy to be the sibling of someone who is uh especially so socially awkward you know when he was younger he used to always ask and he would try to be delicate but like if he had a basketball game he'd ask if she was coming and I said, well, yeah, you don't want her to come And So he said, well, no, it's okay. I said, well, i tell you what, if she starts to squirm or, you know, really get agitated, I'll take her to the bathroom or whatever. And so mm-hmm. um, he kind of shake his head. And so it has to be difficult, you know, but then in the reverse, I know how he feels. It's like she can get on your nerves and I'm her mama, <laughs> you know? So that balancing act, I'm sure for you, especially when you have four, mm-hmm. it's very, very difficult, mm-hmm. uh, very difficult. I can feel your pain on that <laughs> mm-hmm. So how as it been having everybody at home with this quarantine and with school being out for the rest of the school
1: year. What has that been like? Hell. <laughs> in a um, word, huh? In, in a, a word. Word, <laughs> word. In a word. In a basket. Um. It has been, I would say, traumatic for both all of us. Um, very traumatic for all of us. It's a lot to the point that I'm not even at work anymore. I had to be put out on a on a medical leave because I. Still, I I had a panic attack. Uh, my anxiety is 100 right now because I'm trying to be mom, which is already a full time job, a teacher and having to be an employee where I'm logged into a phone like some people can still work at home, but they're not they're not dictate it to a phone where they have to lock their stuff in the closet and work. I am. I have customers that I have to service that when it says ping, I'm saying thank you for calling. So I can't be there to teach you and make sure everything is getting done. I can't be there to do your homework and make sure, not do your homework, but help you with your homework and make sure that you're doing what you need to do. Because again, remember with his diagnosis, he needs that constant person there. Did you do it? Did you make sure you did it? Okay, now let's go back over that. All right. Okay, now go back and look at this. I can't be that person. So being home and them being home has been ha- the hardest thing that I've ever been through. And I've been through a lot, but right now that is the hardest thing that we are going through because I got to still get them out the house. Number two, those are my numbers for them. Number two is an introvert so he's cool literally for like two weeks we only saw him to eat and he went back in his room he was doing great straight A's and everything he was like this is my I'm thriving because y'all ain't got to bother me but then I started noticing they started giving signs of anxiety and not doing anything so now I've got to figure out how to get you out the house take you outside and get some sun, make you get some exercise because now you're, you're eating junk food all day. You're not doing your work. You're just laying around the house and playing video games and there's no, no set routine. And then when I try to have a routine for them, apparently my routine wasn't good enough. And now, now I'm hearing, okay, well you need to do this better. You need to do that better. And I'm like, it's just too much. It was chaotic. I The best way I can tell you and how I've classified what I've been going through. Think about having a bunch of little monkeys. That's just jumping around. You know, little song about three jump monkeys jumping on the bed. One fell out, bumped his head. I got four of them, them, but they're not on the bed and they're not now they're in my head. So I'm consistently trying to quiet my brain down with my little four monkeys. They're jumping around, moving around in my head. And that in itself has made it difficult. And then trying to suppress it is when I exploded because I was trying so hard because culturally, I've always been taught, if you have more or you're doing good, don't complain because somebody else is worse off. So here I am. I got a job. I'm able to pay my rent. I'm able to financially still take care of my family. I wasn't affected like that, like some of the people by the quarantine. So now I don't feel like I can complain. My kids are healthy, so I don't feel like I can complain. So I've been battling with that. Like, how do I still get the opportunity to be like, damn, this is hard compared to, well, you have a job. Your kids are okay. Nobody's been diagnosed with anything. Why are you complaining? So up until that day that you and I and the group had that conversation, I was suppressing it all. And then it exploded. Like, it literally exploded. And they're like, you're done. You can't come in. You're, you know, because you're going to go off on a customer. Oh, OK, well, let me stay at home and just teach the kids. That's one less job I have because it had gotten really, really bad.
0: And do you think that you you mentioned that you think it's cultural? And I, I know I've heard that before, uh, but why do you think that it is so, uh, I guess, uh, taboo for people to, you know, just because I, I feel like you do, you know, you try to look at the bright side. I haven't been affected like some others. I'm working, my husband's working, my son still has his job, but it doesn't mean that what I've gone through with my daughter, what I'm having to do, that it isn't hard and that I don't have the right to feel like it's hard. So why do you think that you know, we live in, in our culture and, and, you know, and I know a lot of it, even just growing up in the church, you know, you'd be grateful for what you have. And I am absolutely grateful, but it doesn't mean that I still don't have moments where it's like, this is just a lot. This is a lot. I mean, my daughter doesn't even live here girl and she has been putting me through a lot. So, <laughs> so why do you think it is that that is the
1: prevailing wisdom? You know, because I've had to come to the conclusion, that's just how they lived and, in the time in which my parents and grandparents and they were happy they made it do and they didn't they didn't complain and as they grew up older and they found out about therapy and that this is this to be very candid in their mind that's what white people do black folks don't go to they don't go to, they don't go to therapy they go to church yep they go, got it they pray about that thing and god is going to come in and do everything and i am not saying please let me let me be clear cuz i know somebody going to hear this and they going to say ooh andreesia i am not saying that god will not come in and answer prayer. That is not what I'm saying. But what I'm also saying is, God, let people go to school to become therapists. And because they got a good old therapy degree, I'm going to sit in their chair or I'm going to call them on a teleconference and help you help me figure this out because there's something wrong. But when I sit there and hear people sit there and try to make me feel like I'm the problem because there is something clearly going on and why do I have to suppress it? Why can't we talk about it? That's just like raising my boys. Why can't my boys have some type of emotion? Why do they have to shut it off? Why do they have to be so strong all the time? I don't understand. I'm a mama. Maybe it's because I'm sensitive. I don't know. But I do feel as though that was just how my family was raised. But I'm a little bit of a rebel, as I told you before. And I'm just that whole boundary situation and what they're supposed to do and not do. And I I can't be sad. I can't be upset. I can't feel the pain. Even though I still have a job, it wasn't, it's not feeling good. And I've suppressed it. That's like having a bottle and everything's bottled up, a Coke, shake the Coke, shake the Coke, shake the Coke. And you're just shaking me. That's all that's happening. And when it's time to open up the top for the sh- for the Coke, it's going to explode. And that's what happened is it exploded. Thank you for being brave enough to share that.
0: I appreciate that. I, I totally agree. I think that we do Um, As a society, you know, you are right. Black folks do not go to therapy. That was the prevailing wisdom. And so, um, you know, I'm glad we're able to have this conversation, just be able to encourage people who are listening, um, that it's okay to seek that help if they need it. And um, how has it been since you stopped working? Have you been able to maybe feel like you can breathe a little bit more? Um, How are things going since then?
1: Yep, I've been able to breathe. We make it a point to get out and I make it a point by myself to get out early in the morning, walk and get some breath, air. And then there's a set schedule so that we follow. So that it's still just like them in school, but I'm able to be there. I'm able to have a lunch period for them to just take a break. I make them walk away from their work, get some fresh air. So we're able to have more organization, which is making it more normal it's more organized now
0: and what if you could look into the future so i know that you know this is what i've been doing lately with my baby girl because she's now legally an adult but what are some of your greatest fears for your boys um you know we all have fears for our children in general but especially for your children with special
1: gifts are they going to be able to be okay on their own Um, are they going to ever be in a situation, especially for my young men, my boys, where they're dealing with the police and the police are not well-versed on what's going on? Um, are they going to, is my son going to go zero to a hundred because you tell him no and he really wants it to be yes. Is my son going to pick up something because he wants it and Hey, it's there. Is it going to be a point that somebody's going to take advantage of them? because they don't know. So I worry about any and everything that you can think of that a mom would worry about times 10 because of the special gifts. Thank you so much, Andresia. This has been a
0: great conversation. Is there anything that you want to leave our audience with before we uh, close out
1: today? The only thing that I would leave them with that I've had to come through and realize is that I didn't cause it, you know, for whatever reason they were blessed with or they were given special gifts. Now, my job as a mom is to try to help them navigate through everything without me feeling bad or them feeling bad. And that there's always going to be someone that has an opinion. But once you finally get past, and I'm not there yet, I'm like probably at 75%, but once you get past them having an opinion, your life will be okay, because you won't worry about what they're saying. You'll embrace it for what it is and be like, that's your opinion. Okay, great. And you'll just keep moving. I'm almost there. I got probably another 25% to get there, but it doesn't happen overnight. It just is something that you have to take your time with and be gentle on yourself because I've had many nights that I beat myself up because of everything that's going on.
0: Thank you so much, Andresia, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you have anything that you want to hear us talk about here on In My Shoes, you can hit me up at kdt at inmyshoestoday.com. Again, that is kdt at inmyshoestoday.com. That is all the time we have for today. And until we meet again, be blessed.